in Matthew chapter 2, we'll be reading verses 1 through 12, the visit of the Magi. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Thank you, Ali. Well, a father picked up uh, his phone just before Christmas. I picked up his phone to his son, who was working in New York, and he said, uh, Hugo, um, I'm afraid I've got some rather bad news for you. Uh, your mother and I are getting a divorce, and this will be our last Christmas together. Son said, Dad, that's terrible. I'm, I'm, I'm going to come home straight away. Then he picked up the phone to his daughter in Australia, and he said, Jenny, I'm afraid I've got rather sad news. Um, your mother and I are breaking up, and this is going to be our last Christmas together. And Jenny said, Dad, that's, that's awful. We're going we're to get, get a plane straight away. We're going to be home for Christmas. Father put down the phone, turned to his wife and said, Darling, okay, that's all sorted. Children are coming home for Christmas and they're paying for their own airfares. <laughs> now, that's one way to persuade people to make a journey. And in the passage Ali just read to us, God found another way to persuade the wise men to make their particular journey. And this chapter in Matthew is probably, actually, probably one of the most disturbing accounts of the Christmas story. Because, yes, we have this wonderful picture of the Magi, uh, smelling of curry and camels, as one of our curates used to describe them, uh, of them coming and bowing down before the Christ child. But we also have the dark side of Christmas in this account. Because Matthew tells us of a king who's devious and out of control. He tells us of unexplainable signs in the sky, of strange dreams warning of imminent danger, of threats and lies. And if we'd read to the end of the chapter about a young family fleeing for their lives, making a desperate escape at night, and most horrific of all, of course, the slaughtering of innocent children. What has happened to our beautiful nativity scene? Well, first of all, the arrival of these magi probably wasn't at Christmas, probably wasn't at the actual birth. It may have been anything up to two years later. 
You know, we fondly imagine, don't we, that the Magi arrived at the stables just as the shepherds were leaving. You know, but it's clear that their journey from the east had taken not just days or weeks, but possibly, more likely, a couple of years. Mind you, it's been said that if the wise men had been wise women, they would have asked directions earlier, arrived on time, helped deliver the baby, cleaned up the stable, and bought a casserole. Hey-ho. But why would a group of wise men from a far-off foreign land embark on such a journey in the first place? Because they most probably came from Persia or Babylon, as it was called in ancient times. And these men weren't kings, as often we're led to believe. You know, we three kings from Orient aren't. You know, they were astrologers. They read the stars. And here was a sign in the night skies that they couldn't ignore. And this is what led them to do, to make this extraordinary journey. A journey in search of a king. The king of the Jews, we're told, verse 2. And this title, King of the Jews, is a very specific one. And you know, it's only used to describe two people in the Bible, King Herod and King Jesus. Because Herod was given this title by the Romans because they considered him their most effective ruler over Israel. And this title was really important to Herod because it proved how respected he was by Rome. So you can imagine his horror when these strangers from the east arrived announcing their mission to find the one called the king of the Jews, and they're obviously not talking about him. You know, no wonder he was disturbed, we're told, verse 3. Now, it actually feels like a slight understatement, doesn't it? And we're told all Jerusalem with him. You know, you can imagine the word on the street, you know, keep your heads down, Herod is not happy. This was a barefaced challenge to his authority. And you've got to realize Herod has spent years scheming, uh, double-clock-crossing, flattering, warring, and murdering to win his throne as king of the Jews. And he wasn't going to give it up without a fight. You see, this reading is not about the three kings. It's actually about the two kings, King Herod and King Jesus. And the contrast between these two kings couldn't be greater you know, the self-appointed ruler and God's appointed ruler. The king who came to be served and the king who came not to be served but to serve. The king who loved to be called great, Herod the Great, he was called. And the greatest king of all who came into the world unrecognized and vulnerable. The one who desperately guarded his earthly throne and the one who willingly gave up his heavenly throne. The king who clung to his title, king of the Jews, and the one who bore that title as he was nailed to a cross. You know, the contrasts run deep. So this story, this chapter, is about two kings, not three, and it's about three responses, not two. Three different responses to the coming of the Messiah. Firstly, Herod's response. Herod's response. His response was fear. Fear of anything he didn't understand or control, and of anyone who threatened his ambitions, his life plan. Here was a man who wanted to do away with Jesus because he wanted to be king, king of his own life, king of his own little dominion. And you know, people often react in the same way today. They want to do away with the claims of Jesus because those claims make them feel uncomfortable. So they dismiss them or or respond aggressively in debate against them. 
But Herod stands for the principle, the truth, that if we want to rule our own lives, sooner or later we'll come into conflict with Jesus Christ because he is the only, the only real king. So firstly, Herod's response. Secondly, and this is the one we can easily miss in the middle of all that's going on, it's the response of the chief priests and teachers of the law. Just look at verse 2. Herod calls them together and asks them where the Christ is to be born. And quick as a flash, they tell them that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. And they quote from the prophet Micah. They know all the right answers, you see. They know the scriptures back to front. They have an answer to almost every religious question. But here's the strange thing. No matter how much they recognize God for his work in the, in the past and studied his promises for the future, they weren't willing to let him work in the present. You know, God in the past is safe like a sort of dusty museum. God in the future is also safe. It can be like a rather idyllic daydream. But God in the present is disturbing. You know, it disturbed these Jewish leaders and all Jerusalem, we're told. So rather than let these wise men come in and challenge their status quo, do you see what happened? They did nothing. You know, they watched the Magi leave Jerusalem on the last leg of their epic journey, and they didn't even bother to go with them. I mean, it was only six miles to Bethlehem, and they stayed behind. You know, they weren't even curious enough to go and see for themselves. I mean, just think about it, the apathy, the pride. That is what they're supposed to have been waiting for, for centuries, the coming of the Messiah, and they miss it. They presumed they knew it all. They thought they knew what to expect. But God surprises us. God will always surprise us, and he still does today. And finally, we have the Magi from the east, foreigners, not part of the promised, uh, promised people of Israel, but they were in search of the truth, and they invested everything, we're told, in order to find the one born king of the Jews. You see, this wasn't just a physical journey for them. This was a journey of faith. And these foreigners, these unbelievers, unbelievers had three great qualities, qualities that would be actually worth us making note of today. They came with open minds, open hearts, and open hands. Open minds, open to the supernatural, open to God doing something out of the ordinary. They were open to God's prompting to set off on this crazy journey, open to miraculous start signs through stars appearing in the sky, and even dreams at night, things that couldn't easily be explained. They searched for the one. And God honored their search because it was genuine and open. And at the end of their journey, they met the king. And you know, it's the same for us today. Come with an open mind, genuinely looking, genuinely searching for the truth. And God will honor that search. They came with open minds. They came with open hearts. Their hearts had been prepared you know, that's why, do you see verse 10, they were immediately overjoyed when they reached their destination. They instinctively knew that their only response was to bow down and worship. They were so ready to worship the king. You know, there was no hesitation, no more questioning, just this open adoration. They'd found him. They'd found him at last. 
They'd found the object of all their longings. And again, it's the same for us today. Many people say that coming to faith in Jesus, meeting Jesus for the first time is like coming home, finding the person that you've been looking for, the place where you belong. And you know, I found that place when I was just 17 years old. I heard the story of the prodigal son, and someone explained it to me in a way I'd never heard before, a way that I understood. And to me, from that point on, nothing else mattered. You know, I knew, I, I knew that I just needed to go and be with Jesus. And it was like coming home. And thirdly, they came with open hands. You know, there's the most lovely phrase in verse 11. It tells us, after they bowed down and worshipped him, they opened their treasures. They held nothing back. They wanted to honor him with all that they had. And again, you know, it's the same for us today. When we encounter the one who gave us everything, we want to give him everything. We want to give him everything back. Our lives, our gifts, our possessions, our ambitions. That's a sign, you know, that we've truly met the king. And these magi let the coming of the Messiah transform their thinking, uh, disturb their diaries, and demand their worship. They left everything behind in response to the king to the King Jesus. And you know what? Wise men and women still do that today. Shall we stand? And let me pray as the band come up again and we're going to sing another carol. We'll sing Silent Night tonight. Let me pray. Lord, we ask that you would stir up our hearts, stir up in us this, uh, this night over this Christmas time. And we ask, Lord, that you would, you would open up our hearts to see you and feel you and know you. Open our minds. If we've had doubts before, if we still have questions, Lord, may we be truthful seekers, searchers after you. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to open up our hands to you too, where we've kept things to ourselves, where we've held back. Lord, we pray that we would trust you with our lives, with all that we are and all that we have. Amen.